podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Monday evening and it means that is time for the Monday evening Euro review night show, something like this. Um, welcome <laughs> to the Anglo-Italian pod, as always, not a great start. My name is Rory and I'm joined by my very good friends, Adam and and Ben. How are we doing, everyone? How are we doing, boys? Good weekend, Ben. Decent weekend? Great weekend, mate. Spurs didn't play, so we couldn't lose again. And um, Chelsea lost in the cup final, so it's pretty decent. All round, all in all, pretty good. Yeah, not bad. I enjoyed not it. Bad. Um, Adam, what about yourself? Decent weekend? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Obviously, Wickham Wanderers lost to Stevenage, so uh, yeah, unfortunately, the run was due to end after that kind of cup glory in midweek. But nevertheless, we crack on, we crack on, and we'll, we'll do this tomorrow for sure. We've got Cheltenham Town, but uh, Rory, more importantly, how is Milan and how are you? Oh, I've had just such a good weekend. I, I was saying to Adam just before we start, we hit record, this has, touch wood, the potential to be one of the best seasons of my life. Um, Arsenal absolutely scoring for fun. And the Alex seemingly doing the same, winning away at every single ground, every single challenger we're near. We're just, we've beaten Mansfield away. We've beaten County away. We've beaten Stockport away. We've done them all. And it feels like just an incredible season all round. So another great weekend, a great Saturday. I'm in a fantastic mood. Can't wait to start, start talking about all this football. Um, so, of course, this weekend there was a lot to cover. Um, we had the Carabao Cup final, of course. And we'll be talking about Gary Neville and Peter Drury, I'm sure. Um, we had, of course, in the Premier League, Fulham absolutely battering Manchester United. I thought they were going to get away with it, but thankfully they didn't. Um, Arsenal running riot again. We'll be talking in Serie A. We'll be talking about Milan being held to a draw by La Dea at the San Siro. Dionisi, we knew it was coming, but mm. he has been relieved of his duties um, and we'll be fitting in lots more in between. Adam, was there anything I forgot there? I feel like that's everything. I think we'll go through it as we go along, but that sounds about the highlights of it so far. I think that is the main talking point. So let's begin, I suppose, with the Carabao Cup final. And of course, the line that will live forever, <laughs> immortal line of blue billion pound bottle jobs that was spat furiously out by Gary mm. Neville about 70 minutes into that game. <laughs> he was really losing his rag. Um, ben, did you enjoy this as much as I did? I love how much Chelsea bottled this. Yeah, and I wish Chelsea and Liverpool could play each other in every single final because I know a few of them have been nil-nils in the past, but it always delivers something. And like the parallels to the cup final, the League Cup final a couple of years ago were pretty uncanny. Like with a disallowed goal, Liverpool had a disallowed mm-hmm. goal in the cup final for a uh, basically the same thing a few years ago at basically the same point in the game Chelsea having a goal disallowed for a very marginal offside like it was crazy the kind of parallels to mm-hmm. a couple of years ago so they, they, they always deliver when they play each other at Wembley but the only downside to that is there is the prospect of Chelsea winning something but thankfully that hasn't happened recently the last six major cup finals they have lost all of them and they got what they deserved yesterday in my opinion mm-hmm. I thought Chelsea for, for a large part of the game played well um, I've sort mm-hmm. of been you know, growing in kind of my praise for them recently in terms of how impressed I've been with them. But I think I think the sort of true colours showed a little bit in the la- in in extra time. And I, I did think I don't think to call them bottle jobs is fair in the context of the ninety minutes mm-hmm. because missing chances and Kelleher making amazing saves and Endo making an incredible block and Gallagher hitting the post doesn't make you doesn't make you bottle jobs. But 
I think the way they sat back in extra time and really allowed Liverpool's kind of youngsters to grow into the game and find their feet on such a big occasion is what justified that comment a little bit more from Neville for me. Mm-hmm. It, like you said, it kind of felt like he spat it out a little bit. There was a little bit of vitriol in there in the sense that it was, you know, he probably doesn't want Liverpool to win that game. But, yeah. you know, there's been a whole kind of debate around Carragher and Neville and commentators sort of showing that level of emotion. And to me, I don't really have a problem with it. And also, you know, we all like to laugh at Chelsea, don't we? So I, I enjoyed it, but it was a brilliant, it was a brilliant game. It was one of those games yeah, yeah. where you just, especially with the, 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 the supposed lack of quality from Liverpool with the players missing, the performance they were able to put across in terms of the commitment um, that they showed. I thought Van Dijk was outstanding. I thought like mm-hmm. he was, I know there was a lot of players that impressed for Liverpool and I know it's easy to say it because he got the winning goal, but I thought he deserved that. Bear in mind he, I mean, we'll come on talk talk about the disallowed goal, I'm sure, as well. But I think he deserved to have that moment because he was yeah. immense in that game. And it was almost just like, I think I said it to my mates, it was almost like, now, nah, when the goal got disallowed, he was like, I ain't losing this final. Mm-hmm. I'm not losing it. And he kind of just, every single time he was there for the block, he dealt with Chelsea strikers so well, despite the fact they had chances. He was just so commanding and he got the moment that he deserved. And I think now he's kind of, you know, there's been a bit of debate off the back of that as well as where does he kind of rank in the all-time, in the sort of the pantheon of greats in, in terms of Premier League defenders. And I think he's right up there because I don't think many defenders can sort of do what he can do and provide moments like that. So I thought he was outstanding. I thought Liverpool thoroughly, thoroughly deserved it, in my opinion. I thought it was really interesting with Van Dijk because I you kind of forget this is the first final that he captained them with. Like yeah. He always feels like he was the captain, but this is the first final that he's captained. <laughs> it feels like he really stepped up to it, as you said. Um, and I think, yeah, Liverpool in general, like Adam, I'm going to go for you. What, their, mm-hmm. their performance was really, like, fearless almost. I think because yeah. they did, obviously, you look at that lineup and you think, right, it almost put more pressure on Chelsea because everyone's like, right, well, mm-hmm. Chelsea have to win this now, right? Because Liverpool, they've still got decent players there, but this lineup definitely wasn't what they expected. Um, do you think, or what they would have wanted, were you impressed with Liverpool's, like, determination and the fact that when Klopp did bring on the youngsters, it didn't really seem to make a difference in levels of quality. No, and I think that was kind of probably the message that maybe Klopp kind of alluded to the younger generation that was within the squad was like, you've got some experienced heads that are going to breed that confidence alongside you and just make sure you're shouting along the lines. I mean, I felt the likes of Endo in the middle in particular kind of helped kind of steady that midfield. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Ben alluded to, Van Dyke was that calmness at the back. He was, even when he had a lot of youngsters alongside him, he just made it seem like quite seamless in terms of the way they were going to go about it. He didn't kind of have any scary moments. They did just the basics right. And even when they were under pressure from that kind of Chelsea attack, and there was endless opportunities where Chelsea should have probably done better in that final third, especially when it came to, I think there was a few shots on Kelleher where he just managed to put in a block and, you know, it was a scramble at times. There's just seemed to be that confidence after those kind of incidents that meant, you know, Liverpool just rode it out. And I I felt at no point, even though those kind of incidents did happen during the course of the game, I didn't feel like Liverpool were, you know, under too much pressure. I felt they dealt with it quite well because it was then the recycling of the ball that Mm. then made the opportunities really kind of stretch. And I thought they actually put a lot of pressure towards Chelsea. And I think Chelsea, I think, will be gutted at the way they kind of reacted. And I think to the point that I know we've got a question in the kind of chat at the moment, which was around Poch, 
But I felt like Poch didn't really read the game as well as Klopp did because, you know, that energy that kind of Klopp introduced with his younger players meant that, you know, Chelsea were a bit struggling at times, especially on that right-hand side. We kind of gave a lot of praise to Gusto the previous mm-hmm. weekend against Man City, but he really struggled against... He had a difficult time. start to the game. Mm-hmm. He At the start, yeah. he was like, the ball was running under his feet, his first touch was loose, his passes were going out. I think the occasion got to a few of them, and I think you could see that... like the. And it's been talked about a lot on Sky Sports today, I think. But the, like the Chelsea team was very young as well, right? But that has been their thing of like they've bought all these youngsters for their a lot of them. It was their first cup final. There was no leaders to balance out the youth. Whereas opposed to in the Liverpool team, you had Van Dijk, you had mm. players that had been there, done that, and kind of even Kelleher has like won cup finals before, right? If you know what I mean. So yeah. they had a bit more of that balance. Mm. But I think where Poch got it massively wrong, I just to answer the question. So what do you think about Poch's in-game management? When, because towards the end of the game, I thought Chelsea are going to nick this because there was the the Gallagher chances where you think it's it's an indictment on Chelsea really that their most threatening attacking player was Conor Gallagher. I like him, but you've got more attacking, you've spent more money on attacking talent than him, right? And he was the one who who found himself in those positions. And he's not a finisher; he's not a striker. So of course, if you put him in a one to one with a lot of time, he might panic. He might take one touch too many. Like, I think he was unlucky with the one that just went over the bar. I think it was his second or third chance. And you could see after the game when he came off, he was like visibly upset at like those chances. So I thought Chelsea were going to nick it. But Poch then didn't capitalize on that. Like, when Mm -hmm. the game ends and you think, right, you've had Liverpool on the ropes for 10 minutes here, just go for it. Like, Liverpool are knackered. These are players that don't have experience. If you run at them, they might panic. And he just did the exact opposite. Like, Ben, do you think. Why do you think now? Obviously, his statement he came out and said the the players thought that penalties would be better for us, which is there's all all sorts we can look into that as well. But yeah. why do you think he decided to just be so negative an extra time? Because it felt like the tide had turned towards Chelsea. Yeah, I I don't get it. I th- and that's what ultimately cost him the game. And I was watching the game with my stepdad, and he kept saying throughout. You know, we're both sitting there as Spurs fans. You kind of got that agenda that you don't want Chelsea to win. And he kept saying throughout, it's like, Chelsea going to nick this. Chelsea going to nick this. And I said, I was like, as long as Liverpool can stay in the game, they will get another chance. And it'll either be from a set piece, and that's kind of how it transpired, or they'll get a moment. And Poch allowed that. He he let that kind of play into Liverpool's hands, like I said before, in the sense that, it, and we've all kind of alluded to it, he let those younger players from Liverpool really get comfortable in the game because there was a few of them that I thought came on and looked a little bit nervous, maybe taking too many touches or kind of just firing passes into other people's feet. They looked nervous and it was understandable because Mm -hmm. it's a Wembley final, whatever you think of the League Cup. And I think Jurgen Klopp after the game has definitely put to bed the claims that it is a Mickey Mouse Cup. It means something. It's a huge trophy Mm -hmm. to win. It's It's a major trophy in this country. Um, and I just don't almost think Poch didn't really treat it a little bit like that. And he played for penalties and he can come out and say, well, it was the player's decision and the experienced players like Gallagher and Chilwell almost said that they were tired, but Poch only used four out of his six substitutes, I think. And the quality that they had on the bench was far greater than what Liverpool had. And Liverpool basically rolled the dice at every single opportunity or, or used all of the rolls of the dices to make the changes. And I think you could tell by the body language of the two managers as well. Klopp looked relaxed. Like yeah, yeah. whenever there was a moment, I think uh, I think it was the, either the start of extra time or the start of the second half of extra time. One of the young lads, I can't remember who it was, was walking off the pitch and Klopp just put his arm around him. And he was smiling and he was just talking to him. It was just like, that's what you want. And Klopp has kind of given, Mm. he's empowered these young players to go and deliver a performance like that Mm. throughout his Liverpool career anyway as a manager. And that's why he'll be so missed. 
but I think he just looked relaxed in the situation. He almost he almost saw that. I think he saw where it was going, Klopp, a little bit in that sense. And mm. I, I do think Poch's, Poch's in-game management is one thing that was always questioned at Tottenham for periods, has been questioned at other clubs as well. Mm. And I do think he got this one massively wrong because it's the best chance that Chelsea will get to lift the trophy, I think, especially if this trajectory continues in the way that, yes, they're playing some good football and, yes, they're getting there. We talked last week about how kind of impressed we were with their performance at the Etihad. And bear in mind, their record in big games prior to that, that's why a lot of people were confident back in Chelsea. Yeah. But Poch has let that go in this one. And I think that's what... You, he looked very upset after the game, Poch. And I think he almost knew that he'd handed the initiative massively to Liverpool. And like you said, there was a they were, they were there to be got at Liverpool. They'd created chance after chance in the last 10 minutes of the game. Momentum, mm. Despite Liverpool having a strong game um, for large parts of it, they were hanging on at the end. And I think Poch... They almost, they almost pumped up the balloon to the point that it was going to burst but then just let the, t- took all the pressure away. And, that, mm. and that's kind of what they did in extra time. They had Liverpool where they wanted them and they didn't siege the initiative. So I think it's, I don't think you can put it on the players. I think you have to kind of put it on the manager and he has to take the responsibility for this one for me. Yeah, it's, it's a bit yeah. mad because you bring on players like now, I know people are going to, but like you bring on Mudrick, you bring on like Noni, Noni Madweke. These are attacking substitutions, right? These are, these look mm-hmm. like, right, we're trying to take this game. So yeah. you're kind of making these attacking substitutions, but then everything about your performance and your tactics says, Goes right, let's hold on. And you're like, mm. what what are you trying to achieve here? Are you just having Mudrick as that out ball? Or are you like, it just seems so confused and like Poch didn't, he was just caught between two stools, didn't really know which way to go. So massively disappointing for him, I suppose. Um, well, no, it definitely is. Um, but Adam, of the youngsters for Liverpool, I just want to very quickly, I'm trying to think about which one impressed me the most. I think Jaden Dans was yeah. the one when he came on, yeah. I thought, wow, this guy doesn't give a shit. He was just running. There was a moment where he dribbled mm-hmm. through a few of the Chelsea players. He kind of dropped a shoulder to take a shot. He looked properly dangerous and up for it. Like, I was really impressed with his performance. Yeah, no, he definitely has a bit of his father's instincts in that respect mm-hmm. as well, because I remembered Neil Dan's being kind of player that like to take it on the edge as well. Um, but yeah, I think... I'm still really impressed by Connor Bradley at that kind of right back. He was kind of pushed into that right wing position at times as well. He just seems so calm on the ball. And even though, you know, you've got the likes of Trent in that kind of position, also vying for that position, he just looks like an ideal solution for when they want to put Trent a bit more in the attacking kind of minded positions for certain games. So just the way he even took it on against Chilwell, I think when they clashed as well, like (laughs) You could see that just the calmness personified. And just, yeah, yeah, we did joke about that leaked accounts in our WhatsApp group. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wish that was true. I wish that was true. I really <laughs> yeah. Wish. It, looked, um, it didn't look I real it to me. Like, it did look real. It absolutely <laughs> it did. did me. It absolutely did me. But um, Chilwell, he makes me laugh because he, he acts like he's from the ends, but then he's from like yeah. Surrey or something. Like yeah. he's from like, it's, <laughs> it always makes me laugh. It always makes me laugh. Um, but yeah, with Connor Bradley, I was impressed by how versatile he was because he played about three mm. different positions in this game. I think he played like right back, then he was put out on right wing and he was tucked into mm. midfield. It's like just the versatility show was absolutely fantastic. So I think it, it struck me that like, I'm not comparing the two because United fans are going to lose their shit. But like when Ferguson left, there was no real, apart from picking Moyes, there was no real, like, let's make sure this club's in a good place going on, right? It's just, I need to finish on winning a league title and then I'm done and I can go, right? I feel like Klopp is properly setting up things to make sure 
that when he leaves, it's as smooth a transition as possible. And like, mm. there is enough there for a manager to come in and have plenty of options. I feel like he's mm. really leaving whatever, well, he's leaving it in a really good state for, for whatever person comes next. And all these youngsters, mm. like not all of them are going to go on and make 300 appearances for Liverpool. Some of them might not appear for Liverpool again, but they would have always won a cup for Liverpool and they will have yeah. that experience. Mm. And maybe one of them, will be able to slot in. I think probably Conor Bradley of all of them will be able to yeah. continue and play for Liverpool and um, the manager's got another good um, good young player there. So I was really impressed at how Klopp mm. is um, yeah, conducting this whole exit thing. Not many people get to choose their exit in football, right? And it feels like he's really True. choosing it very, very well. Um, so yeah, fantastic win for Liverpool. The first of four possible trophies. We'll see how many more they get. Um, I'm hoping they don't get one of them. I don't care about the others, but one of them I really <laughs> hope they don't get. Um and I think, anything else to cover in that game? I don't really want to get into the VAR. Do we want to talk about the VAR? It just kind of bored me a little bit. It made no. sense. The, the the first goal, once it was disallowed, once it was explained to me, I understood why it was disallowed, right? It made yeah. sense. Endo mm-hmm. was offside, fine. The only thing that annoyed me was that the one reason that Mike Dean, the one job he has is to make things clearer, Right. And he made it so fucking confusing that I didn't yeah. have a clue what was going on. Like, Ben, did you have a... Because I, I tweeted, like, what the hell was that? But then someone with logic explained it. I was like, oh, okay, just Mike Dean being a fucking idiot. Yeah, it makes sense. Like, the re- like it's technically the right decision. And I understand why that kind of rule is implemented. But And like you said, Mike Dean's lack of coherence in explaining it was incredibly frustrating because you've got you've got an emotional character and then you've got Neville alongside him as well. So it's then like they're both kind of chipping in with their thoughts because it's taken so long and nobody saw the Mm. incident in the first place. So then you've just got this myriad of just like nonsense that's kind of being spouted. And I think I think it's one of those things for me, like I get it. But if that's the road we want football to go down, I kind of think we're in a bit of a problem. It, I think that's a problem. Like, I just goals like that should shouldn't be disallowed. I just don't yeah. because you're going to get people because I, I don't like I get it, but I don't think Colwell was making any concerted effort to try and mark that space. No, like Endo, Endo blocks him off, but it's not as if Colwell was like trying to barge past him. He's yeah, trying yeah. to. I th- oh, it's, it's just so frustrating. I get it, but it's just uh, it's just not where I, I kind mm. of want football to be really. Yeah, well, when it needs explaining that much, you kind of think, okay, is it worth going through, to be honest? But my favourite bit was Mike Dean going, well, they're definitely not checking an offside, and then it being ruled out for offside. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. (laughs) Good work. Good work all around there. Also, can I just say, last thing on this, enough with fucking celebrity referees. I just don't want to... I don't want Mike Dean Mm. chipping off on fucking commentary. I thought once he was retired, we'd never have to deal with him again. I'm sick of hearing him. Carragher didn't want him to be there. Neville didn't want him to be there. I don't think anyone on Twitter, anyone I saw, was like, oh, thank God Mike Dean was there. That really added to the <laughs> yeah. experience. Um, so I really hope this doesn't become a permanent thing or a more common thing, because the next it'll be Clattenburg, and then it'll be all the rest of them, and I just, I'm mm. not I'm not about that at all. Um, let's leave the Carabao Cup there. Congratulations, Liverpool. First silverware of the season delivered um let's go to the premier league and let's start in old trafford what a bloody saturday Mm. there's not many better things (laughs) than a saturday evening with match of the day united have lost at home and arsenal have won it's one of my favorite things um fulham two united one and not only that adam fulham absolutely battered them like there was nothing here for united 
Yes, they did. And I have got an interesting stat, which is this is the first win for Fulham in 18 attempts at Old Trafford. Um, because, yeah, I think if Fulham could just get a bit more consistency, they would be a lot higher in the league. Right now, they are displaying form that actually we should be maybe potentially considering them to kind of break through a bit more. Um, but the kind of way they approached it was, I think, to Man United's kind of surprise. I think they didn't expect the way Fulham kind of broke away. Uh, Muniz seems a hell of a player on the day itself. He seemed to be breaking through quite easily. Um, But I was really impressed by kind of the way the back line really approached it. They really kind of pressurised the front line of Man United. And Man United's kind of attacking lines really did struggle to kind of implement anything really of any threat. So I think Fulham did really well in terms of controlling the whole game. And I think they were unlucky not to have scored more in this match, if I'll be brutally honest. I think there was opportunities where if they have a bit more of a clinical strike force, they probably take it. Now, obviously, Real Jimenez was missing for this match. But I think it was so astute the way that Marco Silva went about the match. And, you know, Adama Traore actually producing something. And I think that's probably just something that I I was considering this earlier. I mean, it makes sense that surely a club in the top five should gamble on him sometimes and just put I, like a some something in his contract to say, if you assist this many, you score this many, you know, that's a beauty, right? And I know Spurs were almost tempted to get him under contact. I would love him they? at Spurs, by the way. But I, <laughs> do you know what? When he's on that kind of form, he's absolutely brilliant. That's the yeah. thing. It's he's, just yeah, he's to be consistent enough. He's, right? he's such a unique profile of footballer, right? He's so like, he's just, he is what he is. But he's got zero end product. And this yeah. time he managed to find end product because United completely forgot he was on the pitch. Like they were just piling forward. Like, oh, yeah, don't worry about that cannonball that's just behind us. <laughs> like, don't worry about him. He shrugged off Maguire and Fernandez, I want to say, or one of the mid. Was it Fernandez? I can't remember. It was, one it was of a the midfielder and Maguire. Yeah. Um, it didn't like they weren't even there, right? But f- you said that Fulham did this without Jimenez. They did it without Paulinho as well, right? They had a yeah. lot of play- like they had a yeah. fair few players missing here. Um, but Fulham, like Ben, I'm going to go to, to you. They've had a lot of good performances. This is just about them turning them into points now, right? Like if they can get that cutting edge striker, like we said, Muniz looked really good. He was really unlucky with that spin where he hit the post. Yeah, but it looked like Brozier was going to be the kind of the new striker, but Muniz might have stolen his place. Yeah, I've been really impressed with him. Like you said, I was kind of waiting to talk about that sort of turn and finish because if that had gone in the well, I'd say finish the one that hit the post, um, he was so unlucky with that because that's just great. Like when you see things like that as a striker, you can tell they're confident. And you can tell they're kind of playing without that fear. And he was excellent. Um, I was just so impressed with Fulham. And I think how, I mean, we'll get on to talk about United, but because uh, I don't know how many times we can have the same conversation know, about yeah. them. <laughs> like you said, that was Fulham without Palina, And they drove through United's midfield like a train. It was just like there was mm-hmm. no one there. And it kind of, not to jump to United already, but it kind of makes you realise how outstanding someone like mine who has been, even though he has he did have mm-hmm. not a great game on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Because he shone out like a diamond in shit, like in that midfield, <laughs> because there was no one there to, around him to help him. Fernandez is a joke. And every t- we had this exact conversation after Luton last week where <laughs> Ross Barkley drove past Casemiro countless amount of times like he wasn't there. Man United's midfield is non existent. Yeah, like yeah, we yeah. had the same thing when we went to Old Trafford. Our midfield had the freedom of the park. So many other teams have gone there and had that. And it's actually, in the, you, sometimes United, when they go away from home, they can get away with it because of how dangerous they can be 
when they have the individual quality in those moments on the transition. And especially without Hoyland, they do look a little bit toothless. But Fulham was super impressive. And I think as well, there's been a couple of players at Fulham that have come in for a lot of stick. And Calvin Bassey is one of them. He's not impressed really for the large mm. parts of the season, but he was excellent on Saturday. Really aggressive defending, took his goal really, really well. It's a nice and finish. He, yeah. It was a really good finish. And mm. United, for large periods, didn't really offer a threat. It was only when Fulham got the first goal. Fulham took all of the initiative in the game. And I think that's been a common theme at Old Trafford for large parts of the season. Even West Ham, who went there a few weeks ago, got yeah. beat 3 0. They took all of the initiative in that game and they were just unlucky with a few chances. And then United, with the individual quality in those moments, are able to turn it over and turn it around and win the game. But it's um, and also Awobi like I, I, and you sort of touched on it with Traore with the goal like Awobi took that so well and Awobi had countless chances in the first half yeah. where if he didn't drag his shot quite wide he's not that natural mm. finisher he's never really been that he always looks a little bit Awobi is an amazing ball carrier like incredible and you can see why Deitch kind of tried to turn him into a centre midfielder at Everton yeah, yeah, yeah. and he was sort of playing that same role I thought Lukic was really impressive as well mm -hmm. bear in mind there was no yes. Paulinho because yeah. like a to kind of circle back like. If they had Paulinho, God knows what it could have been like. Yeah, 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 yeah. He would have had the freedom of the pitch. And I was super impressed with Fulham. But United, this has been coming. You know, like we've sort of, we sort of alluded to it last week when it was like, are they getting away with it? Or actually, like, is this sort of quite impressive in a way? And you've always kind of stood by the mantle of, no, it's going to come like they're, they're going to get. They are <laughs> like, shit. And they, shit. They are shit. shit I don't like. I cannot scream it any louder. Like Eric Ten Hag said after the game, and this just made me burst out laughing. You need to focus on the big picture, right? My this is die. just big picture. You've conceded more shots than Sheffield United. <laughs> big picture, right? You've conceded more shots than Sheffield United. Your Newport County had 17 shots against you, right? Like, every team is battering you. They're just sometimes the score. Like, that West Ham game, you've pointed to it, United won 3-0, and I was texting my mate Tom, the West Ham fan, and I was going, mate, you were unlucky in that game. I do not understand how United have won that 3-0. Every performance, I've gone, this luck is going to run out. This luck is going to run out because it cannot be sustainable. The underlying numbers always tell you the truth. United yep. are shit. And I think they just take out one player who's been there. Like, Hoyland has been fantastic, right? This scoring streak has been incredible. And it is a big miss. But if you take one player out of your team and the whole thing fucking falls apart, it means it was built on sand. I just cannot mm -hmm. stress this enough. And I think Ten Hag is the best thing that Arteta ever did for the Premier League and for our rivals was have a shit period that we got through because now every manager that does shit goes, well, Arsenal stuck with Arteta and now clubs go, yeah. oh, well, we best stick with him, right? If it wasn't for Arteta, Ten Hag would have been sacked fucking months ago. It's just the fact that they're like, well, you know, it worked out for Arsenal. It worked out for Arsenal. I cannot believe he's still in the job. And he just, again, the game management was terrible. United are unable to manage a game and just control. Like, once you get that goal, that like you can talk about whether Maguire should have been on the pitch in the first place, but Maguire gets that goal. Okay, I get it. You're trying to win, right? You, you're at home. The, the Old Trafford are awake for the first time in 85 minutes, right? You want to try and get something, but you can't just fucking commit everything forward. You have to still be relatively sensible. You have to still think, this is a team that I've had, numerous chances against us they just show zero awareness and whether it's him or the players on the pitch i don't know but it's just so naive and so shambolic every single mm. time like adam do you think there's any like ten hog can't improve them at this point it's been nearly a what a season no. and a half two seasons it's not going to get any better yeah 
It's not. And he's alluded to the fact that he's not going to introduce that kind of Ike style football that I think everyone was kind of hoodwinked and promised that this guy was going to introduce to this team. So I think when we've kind of developed over time, you've seen this kind of Man United side. I'm still none the wiser as to what Ten Hag's actually brought to this team. I, I don't know what he's actually pushed on since, say, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And I don't think literally he has a clue about what the direction is going to be going forward. I, I couldn't tell you what his philosophy is in terms mm. of how he's going to build this team. I think it seems to be, like you said, it's all stuck on this principle of Hoyland and build a team behind him. Whereas yeah. you need to kind of address a number of different areas. Now, he's been kind of fortunate with Mainu, who's come in from the youth team, obviously looks like a promise. And I think he'll be a hell of a player. But I think that it sounds like there's some really disruptive influences in that dressing room as well. We can obviously highlight the likes of Rashford and the way he's kind of applied himself this season and kind of question, well, where where is he going with his career right now? I don't mm-hmm. know what he's trying to do. And he doesn't seem like he's interested in being at the club, let alone trying to play for his career. So it, it just baffles me. But yeah, Ten Hag, I think we've said it enough times. We just don't get him. He's a bit like Pochettino. I think we should get him out of his misery and just start again. But, you know, I, just, I don't know. Well, I, I just don't know what Radcliffe is thinking. I think also for both clubs, just starting again, like Pala, Jesus Christ, at what point? Like, I just, they're just stuck in this vicious cycle of like just mediocrity. It's insane. I think Ten Hag then turns around and says, he was talking about new signings, right? I, I need to buy some new players. I need to improve the squad. I need to like get the players in that I want. The player that you want, you brought on in the 99th minute and you started forcing ahead of him because he's been so shy. He's not able to hit a barn door for two seasons. Like, do you think the the board have any right to trust you anymore with another hundred million? Like I just, he's one of the most delusional managers I've ever seen in the Premier League. And there's like Nathan Jones and then Ten Hag. I think it's like really close run thing, but long may it continue because I really enjoy laughing at Manchester United, but for Fulham, an incredible win. And they're, Marco Silva, the job he's doing there is just absolutely fantastic. Um, just to have them so steady um, in the Premier League so quickly and kind of fairly quietly too. Nobody's really talking about it, but they just look so comfortable in the Premier League. So really, really impressive job by him. But we're going to leave United there because I think people have heard um, enough about United. But very quickly, actually, there was a question there. Ben, mm-hmm. do you think Anana is improving? Do you think he was the right man for the job in the first place? I think he was the right man, but he's in the wrong environment. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's clear that Anana is obviously a decent keeper, but I just don't... I, I think he's in the wrong place, like you said. I think mm-hmm. United is a circus at the best of times and you don't need to add more chaos to that. And I think he just brings too much of that. Um, I think he... As a goalkeeper, it's important to kind of have confidence, but I almost think he almost backs himself a little bit too much at times mm-hmm. as well. I, I think it kind of, like you said about Ten Hag, that where that delusion comes from, I don't know. Because I was going to say, like, we might as well not talk about Man United on this podcast anymore because yeah. we might as well just <laughs> insert the same... Insert <laughs> the same we might as well literally just clip up exactly what we've just yeah. said for the last 10 minutes <laughs> yeah, and then true. use it again next week. Yeah. Because whether they win or lose, it doesn't change. Mm-hmm. It does not change. And they are just, I think, yeah, Ten Hag is living in, as Roy Keane once labelled it, cuckoo land. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, just, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what he's getting out of this team. I don't know. I think they're, they're, they're a team full of good individuals. Like, Anana is a good goalkeeper. Like, mm-hmm. he would, there was a reason why there was kind of a bit of a, you know, a yeah, bit of a fight yeah, yeah. for his signature in the summer. Inter wanted to keep him, but it just didn't happen. But I just think, yeah, wrong environment, wrong, 
maybe right club, also maybe wrong club, wrong time as well, or wrong club, even worse time. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just don't, yeah, I don't see how it gets it gets better for him or maybe just Man United anyway, yeah. like in general. It is on. Believable, but you know we will be here again next week after yeah. they play Man City. Oh my God, can you imagine oh, fuck, how that's yeah. going to be? <laughs> oh, that's going to be a good old-fashioned paddling. Um, I'm really praying that United do something, but I don't know why I'm even bothering. Um, the, to very quickly finish the Premier League, I just have to say Arsenal scored four again. Newcastle. I really wanted to batter them, and I'm so glad we battered them. <laughs> After what happened up at St. James's Park, the fans were so fucking loud. Um, before we even get to the to the decision, I was just really, really impressed. The first half, I think, on form, when we are going, we play the best football in the league at the minute. I think, honestly, we are playing the best, most attractive, fluid football. Kai Havertz on the end of chances. Saka fucking killing it. I just absolutely loved everything about this performance. Um we probably should have had a few more. I was kind of weirdly glad that Joe Willock scored. I was like, oh, this is going to be one of them. It's nice that it's True. Joe Willock. Yeah. Um, but Ben, uh, sorry, Adam, Newcastle, yep. that was, oh, that was tough to watch. Um, Eddie Howe, how long is, how much longer is he going to last in the job? Yeah. Because this is getting pretty ugly. It was pretty abysmal, wasn't it? And I think he admitted that he had no excuses for that performance. Um, they really did struggle with the kind of relentless pressure that Arsenal applied. And also, I think I think a lot of praise has to go to the tactics, either of Arteta or kind of his analytics team, because they obviously targeted those set pieces. They could have scored a lot more from set pieces alone. Um, but, you know, they targeted Dan Byrne in particular. You know, he had a torrid game. And it's just across the boards, like the fact that Isak really struggled for any impact in this game kind of mm-hmm. tells you kind of the job that Arsenal applied. And, you know, Kivor seems to be getting a lot more confident and it really did improve as the game went on. I felt like that was this most assured performance mm-hmm. for Arsenal that he's ever had. And that applied throughout the whole squad, in fairness. It wasn't just him. It was just the whole approach that they took into this game was really good. So, mm-hmm. you know, fair credit to the way they applied themselves. But Newcastle, yeah, I, I think there's been a lot of kind of sounding out around Howe's future, right? There's been a lot of kind of question marks around what do they do next? I think it would be naive for them to kind of pull the trigger right away right now because he's had a bit of a onslaught of injuries as well yeah, that he's yeah, had yeah. to deal with and Tonali being out for this season's being probably not something that they kind of planned for. So, you know, I think it's better to judge him maybe after this season. But, I mean, yeah, the writing does feel like it's on the wall at the moment. And, you know, it depends on the ambitions of the club right now, whether they feel that this isn't really part of their progression plan. But I'll be open to kind of suggestions. I mean, I don't know what you guys feel is the right approach. I mean, Rory, do you think someone like a Jose should be coming into this role? Because <laughs> it just felt like, this felt like a project team, yeah. right? With Howe at the helm, this felt like they're going to give them the opportunity. But now, whether their expectations have risen that high because of the Champions League, that they feel they should be achieving that season upon season, which I think was ahead of plan, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they definitely got there quicker than they thought they were going to. And the fact is, next season, it looks almost dead set that they will not be in mm-hmm. Europe next year. They might get the Conference League, might might get the Europa League, It'd take yeah, a pretty stretch. big turnaround of form, at which point FFP kicks in even more, and then mm-hmm. they can't sp- they can't spend more. And it just it feels like obviously they're trying to do it like sensibly and they're following the rules, unlike other clubs, right? Um, but 
yeah, it does feel like they're kind of hamstrung a little bit. I think Eddie Howe has been, as you said, unlucky with injuries, but I think I'm seeing a bit of like, do you remember his Bournemouth team used to ship goals all the time? His Bournemouth team were never defensively strong. They were never like that disciplined, steady team. They were always like they'd win 3-2, they'd win 4-3, they'd like draw 4 or And it just feels like he's kind of slipped back into that mode where that that sturdiness for Newcastle only really lasted one season. I also don't know who, who else they really go for or, or what they do really because they've still got players like Almiron and who I think ideally they would have moved on and they would have upgraded. So there's still like mm. that weird... Like Longstaff is decent, but he's not going to win you. Like, if you know I mean, there's just a bit of a weird squad there at the minute. Like, Ben, where do you think they go from this season? Like, I don't think they're going to get Europe, are they? No. And I think if you look at someone like Wolves, I think Wolves are in a, probably a better place uh, mm. to maybe nick in the conference league ahead of them or someone like Brighton as well. Like, I can't see how Newcastle do it. They've got, I was just looking at the fixtures, they've got a slightly f- more favorable run coming up but that still involves a lot of tricky games mm-hmm. um ahead of them as well you know it's they've got blackburn in the cup tomorrow they've got wolves on saturday which in wow. the form that wolves are in that That's feels a big, big. One. Yeah. it's mm-hmm. at home but then they've got to go to chelsea and chelsea's record in those bigger games has been decent, decent. they've beaten yeah. newcastle already in the cup um and then it gets slightly easier after that but they i just I don't really know what to say about Newcastle because they last year they were so impressive and they I think it was almost like they were riding that wave of the momentum from the previous season where Eddie Howard come in and completely turned it around um, because they were in a dire situation. I think they were either second bottom, I think, when he took over. And Eddie Howe's yeah, done yeah. an amazing job and mm-hmm. it has obviously been made easier and kind of the difficulty of it has been offset by the finances. And I do think there's an element of Newcastle fans almost crying too much about the fact that with FFP, it's become like a closed shop and they can't spend what they want and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, you would have known that, you know, and they've, it's not like they haven't spent money as well. They've gone big yeah, on a yeah. lot of transfers. Mm. And yes, they've been unfortunate with someone like Tonali, but again, that's kind of bad scouting in a way. Maybe they shouldn't have brought him in the first place. Yeah. Surely they would have known something. Um, but they were so poor on Saturday. So, so poor. And bear in mind, it was not that far off their best eleven. There's obviously players still missing, Mm -hmm. but the back four of Trippier, Shah, Botman and Livermento, obviously, ideally, you wouldn't have Loris Karius in goal. But again, I didn't think Karius was bad. I thought... He he made some decent saves. He made some decent saves. Yeah, Yeah. for the first goal, he's unlucky. Like, he keeps that off the line and then it just... That that goal, you can't do much about it. It's just Arsenal's presence Mm -hmm. from set pieces is too much in those situations. But you go across the midfield three, Miley, who's been excellent, Gimaraes, Longstaff, ideally, again, maybe Mm -hmm. Tonali comes in there. Harvey Barnes came off the bench, Gordon, Isaac, Alma on the front three. I know they're missing Callum yeah. Wilson, but they've got Isaac. And I know he wasn't at full fitness. He went off after mm. 60, 65 minutes. But mm. the, the the way, the thing I found alarming for Newcastle, and it's been the case in a lot of recent games, I think they've conceded at least three goals or at least two goals in all of their last four games. So they've conceded four mm. against Luton, two away at Forest, two at home to Bournemouth and four away at Arsenal. Um, Arsenal just made it look so easy and Arsenal are a brilliant side let's not get it twisted like mm. you said it at the start and as much as I'm reluctant to give Arsenal too much praise <laughs> they are at the moment You, Arsenal are playing the best football in the league I was sort of I was sitting there watching the first sort of 20 minutes so after that first goal went in and then the Havertz goal goes in and I was watching you just pop it around their midfield and I was just thinking fuck just like this is just like Arsenal are a very fucking good team like yeah, a very very good team and I think that obviously that kind of winter break has done you wonders um to kind of reset and go again and you've got they've got all the momentum now 
Um, and so Arsenal was super impressive, but Newcastle were just like very easy to play against at the moment. Like they've gone mm. to, they've been battered four one away at Arsenal. We beat them four one. They've shipped four at home to Luton. They yeah, battered yeah. Villa. They've beaten. They've done the double over Villa bizarrely. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's, 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 they're because on their day they're electrifying an attack. Like with Isaac, there was a there was a moment in the second half where he jinked through a couple of players and mm-hmm. fired that shot over. And you're like, okay, he's sort of got his mojo back, but then he ends up coming off because he's not fit. But I don't know what they do in terms of the managerial situation because it, for me, like the natural step is it has to be like another kind of project exciting mm. manager they can't just go to like a jose that will i think that kind of almost in a way undoes all the work that they've done and i think we saw something similar with spurs where instantly like when Mourinho comes in you do kind of get that new bounce it's like oh we might win something because nobody talks about newcastle not winning anything since fucking black and white tv <laughs> by the way. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and again like there would be far more pressure on eddie howe if there wasn't this narrative of like newcastle being the media darlings and isn't it so great to see newcastle back at the top of the table and all this kind of shit like newcastle have not won a trophy since the tvs were in black and white yeah. so they do they need a manager that's going to win now probably not i don't think that helps anyone but they need to maybe kick on a gear maybe like someone mm-hmm. like i think chelsea tonight have been linked with amarim from sporting maybe another kind of manager like that who is something fresh it's something new yeah. like something that still is able to attract players uh someone's still kind of maybe like someone like Iriola if he was to take that step up yeah, from yeah, yeah. Newcastle would be a good job but I don't really know where they go from here yeah. because it's all just a bit the, the thing is their fans will always get behind them and the feel-good factor will still remain but I think a lot of them are sort of starting to question that's like we're leaking a lot of goals like what's yeah. going on like you kind of alluded to with Bournemouth so yeah, we'll, we'll see. But I, d- I don't think a, a win now manager is the way forward. No, I think it needs to be. I think it's a good shout of getting that next, just that next step up. Like you kind of a manager with European experience, a manager with just a little bit more like behind him. I think it's probably a very good shout. But I think Eddie Howe will not last the season. I think it's going to get pretty ugly um, before yeah. it gets better again. Because. I think it was summed up by the Alan Shearer tweet where he just said, any danger of putting a fucking tackle in? Like, I yeah. just could not believe how far off us they were. Like, compared to St. James's Park when Bruno Guimaraes was going around fucking elbowing people in the back of the head, this yeah. was like the polar opposite. I was like, all right, okay, I'll take this all day. Like, I thought you were going to come here snapping legs, but fine. When he had to go off in tears, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah sod off you. <laughs> I was so happy to see you getting, getting dragged off. Um, anyway, elsewhere in the Premier League, just super quick. Um, Glasner had the mm. the fixture you would you would want oh, to yeah. start your yeah, Premier League career. Wasn't <laughs> I'll take Burnley at home, please. Down to ten men. Uh, they won three 0 Of course they did. Um, but Palace actually tried to score more than one goal. So promising signs there. Um, Aston Villa have won their first game at home for I think this year. Um, Watkins is now tied with the joint most assists in the Premier League. He has 10 assists. Absolutely incredible season. He scored Douglas Luiz with two and Leon Bailey very quietly having an incredible season as well. Um, yeah, Bright- Brighton at the death getting an equalizer against Everton. I'm not sure how they weren't 8-0 up in this game, but somehow they weren't. Um, Brathwaite with the goal and Lewis Dunk at the end. Billy Gilmore sent off for what Harry Maguire wasn't sent off for, which I thought yeah. was just yes. more of that kind of inconsistency we see. Um, Phil Foden got the winner against Bournemouth as Man City won 1-0. Wolves won 1-0 against Sheffield United. Sheffield United actually looked half decent in this. Had a, yeah, decent, yeah. had a few better. decent chances, right? Um, but mm. Sarabia getting the goal to secure the win and West Ham are currently 2-1 up against Brentford. Wow. Uh, Jared Bowen getting 2 
in the first seven minutes and Neil Mopai in the 13th. We'll keep you posted on that one. But I think, is there any other points you want to talk about in the Premier League before we move to Serie A? I think... I think that's it. That's I think that's like it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to touch on Leon Bailey. Because like yeah, you sort of... Uh, he, is, he is amazing. Like mm-hmm. he is... I think the, the Villa's win on Saturday was kind of sort of... Uh, it was almost won by the three players who have sort of defined their season. And Watkins getting... Um, getting the goal and then Louise getting two popping up in those kind of more advanced areas. They're a really good team, Villa. Like, mm-hmm. I know they've had a struggle in the mm-hmm. last few weeks, but I think when Bailey came in, there was so much excitement around him, but he's almost been mm. always been hampered by injuries. But this season, he's been unbelievable. Yeah. Like, really, really good. There's been a lot of hype about Diaby, but I think uh, Bailey stood out and I think he kind of deserves some more flowers than he's getting at the moment. Although I think people are waking up to it, but I think he's he's been incredible. Yeah, yeah. No, his, his yeah. production has just gone through the roof. I think he's in double figures for assists and goals now, I think, this season. Yeah. Um, I think he's 11 goals and 10 assists. Maybe I'll have to double check. Across all competitions, that is, I think. Um, yeah. And, of course, Aston Villa get to play Ajax in the Conference League. Yeah. Unbelievable. What a tie yeah. that is. I'm looking That's forward great. to that. Um, Conference League. Just roping us in, even if you don't want to watch <laughs> it. You know, there's always one tie that's worth watching. But let's go over to Serie A over in Italy, and let's start with, it was the Sunday night game. Um, I don't think it disappointed, um, but Milan were held by Ledea, and it's all about mm. the penalty decision because this basically defined the game. Um, Adam, it wasn't mm. the penalty, was it? No, it wasn't, not in my eyes anyway. Uh, but I think it's because it's a high foot and Giroud doesn't make any contact with the ball. So therefore, he's bought into the theatrics of it by Holm. Uh, he and, absolutely yeah, sold that as well, he, by the way. He, he sold yeah. that hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one thing I would say. Daniele Osoto, who is the referee for this match, he doesn't really cut for a lot of crap, does he? He's mm. kind of referee that he, he just basically does it because he just wants a more fluid game. So he doesn't care if people don't agree with his decisions. But... Yeah, I think that almost kind of typified the way the match went on from there onwards because Milan kind of struggled. They really did struggle to kind of really do anything in the rest of this match. And I I think we saw, bizarrely, a really kind of defiant Atalanta side. They weren't uh, attacking normal selves. They weren't gung-ho. They kind of stuck to a principle of they'll Mm -hmm. get men behind the ball and then counter-attack. And you saw that with the late substitutions in Lukman and Skamaka. Skamaka was absolutely awful, it has to be said. Lukman, on the other side, on the other hand, should I say, looks actually quite threatening. And prior to that shot on goal with Mainyan, if that foul wasn't made by Toloi, that could have been a hell of an effort. Um, But there there you go. I think that kind of summed up Milan's season, that game to fight Mm -hmm. it, whereby they have a moment of brilliance, but they're just shafted by the inability to either see out games potentially or to create more than what they do. Mm-hmm. And it's, it goes back to that whole point of purely really does struggle to kind of work his team out in terms of how does he approach it? When these circumstances happen, what do they do? Because they kind of seem to be very reliant on individuals to kind of make things happen. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's no kind of game plan of this is the weakness of Atalanta, do this, exploit this area. Whereas you saw with Atalanta, they really knew what their roles were and typified mm-hmm. by Edison as well. I was really impressed by his yeah. energy in the middle of the pitch. I thought he was just all over, just knew what he had to do. But even when he was doing the presser, get, pressing game, he was 
just superb. So that approach, you know, Cop Miners was probably his quite a usual self mm-hmm. Atalanta as well. Um, but like I say, it probably wasn't helped by Skamaka just coming on and not looking arsed <laughs> at all. It probably defies Tom's comments, right? Absolutely fucking hates him. Um, but he just thinks he was the biggest waste of money for West Ham. And that is some statement. They have spent some money on some pony strikers, mm-hmm. but he thinks Skamaka's <laughs> yeah. up there is the worst. Um, what what blew my mind here was that Milan first half, I think it was one of the best performances I've seen from them this season. They were amazing first half. They were relentless. They created so many chances. They just could not frigging score. And then the second there's that setback, they just didn't offer anything again. Mm. Like the rest of the game, they just never looked like never looked like scoring. I just think there's just that slight, there was no player to step up and really grab the game by the scruff of the neck and go, right, let's go. Let's just go again. Like it's fine. It's a setback. Yeah. Let's go again. I think even like a leader like Teo Hernandez, who usually is, he can be that player a lot of the time was more concerned with his little beef with Luckman towards the end, which I did enjoy because I could lit read Luckman in Italian. I always enjoy seeing someone English speaking in Italian on the the telly, but um, he seemed more concerned with that. Like there was no player that really stepped up and took the game by the scruff of his neck. And I think by the end of it, it was quite comfortable for Atalanta. As you said, Adam, Mm -hmm. they came for a point. They got a point. And in heading into this really difficult run of fixtures they've got, this is a fantastic start. Mm. Like, it is a fantastic Massive. start. Um, but we do have to talk about Rafa Leal. Um, obviously, is there anything more frustrating than a player who's having a terrible <laughs> season who then turns around and does that then? Like, what a goal, but it's the one time we've seen it this season. Yeah. Well, we've been waiting five months, is it, for the last time he scored a league goal in Serie A, which is crazy. Like, for a player of his talent. And I think... You sort of alluded to it there. Like I think what you saw from Milan on Sat- uh, on Sunday, sorry, was quite almost like quite common. With you quite often see it where teams will win the title, have an amazing season, mm-hmm. and then these games are quite common in the fall off in the second year, where it's like a reminder of what their quality actually is. But then, like you said, they haven't kind of got that confidence to go again. I feel like we've seen this so many times, whether it's in the Premier League, Serie A, La Liga, whoever it is. A team kind of rises up, wins the title, mm. and then they always... I mean, Napoli sort of had it as well. I mean, Napoli had it last year, of course, Milan. But I think with... Yeah, it's just... The the confidence isn't really there for Liao mm. or Milan, but Liao showed it yesterday. That goal was unbelievable. Like, I know he got a bit lucky with some of the sort of bobbly like deflections here and there, but you know he got slightly fortunate. Um, but it was an amazing finish and a, a reminder of his... Of his um, of his quality. We've been waiting for it for long enough. Like I don't really understand how he got away from those two defenders. Like, he got a little bit lucky with some of the yeah. touches, but it was just, when you've got that much pace and power, but also kind of the agility for someone who is so strong, it's he's such a force. And mm-hmm. I just don't, bear in mind, like it feels like maybe this Milan team is sort of coming to the end of the, the great few years that they have had. You would have thought that, the bear in mind, like Liao will be a player that is sought after in the summer, no matter how poorly by his own standards he's performed this season so it is quite a surprise it almost reminds me a little bit of that Hazard season at Chelsea in Mm 2015-16 where they where Chelsea massively fell off obviously Milan haven't been through that but um Hazard just every now and then towards the end of the season I remember he scored this amazing goal at Anfield and it was sort of similar to that Liao one where it was like oh so you can do it you can do it it." Um, but yeah, it was a, a strange game. Um, like you said, Atalanta will be very happy with what they got. The penalty was really soft. Like so soft. he du- he ducks his head into it. Drew, you could sort of see the perplexed look on Drew's face. Um, <laughs> and I can sort of see why he gave it, but I'm just really not sure about it. But yeah, frustrating. 
as good as Milan were in that far, first half, I think they'll be even more frustrated in, than some of the games that they've actually lost almost mm-hmm. because it's like, well, we can do it, but why, why can't we play like this for 90 minutes? Yeah, there was just zero threat towards the end. And I think Atalanta were just very, very disciplined, like you said, Adam, just able to mm. show another side of the team, right? Because we're used yeah. to Atalanta being kind of swashbuckling, let's just concede eight because we'll score nine kind of thing. Um, but I think that defence that they've got there, including, uh, say, a Kolasinac, uh, absolutely <laughs> love that man, seeing him bleeding from the face and still playing. I was like, well, I'm glad you're not Arsenal, but I'm glad you're still out there. Um, but that midfield, that defence looked pretty solid. Like, Scalvini is still prone to the odd Rick. He had Rule. a few dodgy moments. Mm. But I think that back three and the Ruggeri and Holm, they were they were pretty solid throughout, right? I mean, if you take away this game in isolation as well, they've been quite solid. Um, mm. You know, Scalvini's been going on little runs from defensive lines as well. So I think there is definitely promise. Scalvini, as you highlighted, had his moments yesterday. And I think that really is where he gets highlighted a lot more. We have to remember he is only, what, 19 years old. So yeah, he's yeah. broken very early into this squad and a lot of expectation. You know, he's already in the Italian national squad as well. So there's a lot of high hopes on him. But yeah, he's got to develop that kind of reading of the game. And uh, I think Ben alluded to that kind of Liao goal. That was his kind of diving tackle where it kind of ricochets off him into the path of Liao, where he probably should just stay on his feet and just run him down the sides. Uh, And I think that's just where he probably needs someone a bit more experienced alongside him that will help him read the game a lot more. So, you know, in time he will get better, but... You know, it's, they've been superb and Karnaseki as well. That's someone I, that I called out a long mm-hmm. time ago and I feel he is definitely a future Zuri number one. The way he was so calm and composed, even that moment when Milan looked really threatening, he was just so yeah. in command of his whole area. So a lot of credit to the way that I had just reacted. I just literally Googled him to be like, I need to talk about him next. Mm. The way he dominated the area, he was able to cut out passes, able to cut come for crosses. He just like yeah. really just took away a lot of the stress for Atalanta. And I think just a really promising sweeper keeper there, just really dominating mm. for his area. And like, yeah, 23 years old. Um, his name means dry meat, which is good fun. Um, and yeah, it was um, a fantastic performance from him again. Um, he's kind of come from nowhere though. I feel like he just came into the squad. Nah, and was like, oh, okay, here he is. Don't forget, I think Gasparini was never settled on a number one. Because yeah. He had Musa beforehand, for example, and Karnaseki Mm -hmm. was on loan at Cremonese. He was the standout player at Cremonese. But yeah, even this season, he wasn't necessarily the number one, Rory. It's only recently. He's only had a run of like 14 games now, or it must be 15 or 16 by now. Um, But yeah, he's been superb. And he's only, I think it's maybe seven, eight clean sheets now. So he's doing superbly well in that respect. So I think, yeah, there's more to come. But yeah, he's certainly making a stake for being more of a regular in that squad. And I think he will stick with him now because Mm -hmm. he's shown with that performance how mature he's become now as well. So that's going to help him going forward. Fantastic performance all round there. I think Atalanta can really kick on from here. Milan, they'll be gutted because... 
Juve did win. <laughs> Reganovaro came back the 95th bloody minute. This game was a bit mental. Now, Juve, at every opportunity, managed to throw it away. Um, Vlavic getting two goals. His um, celebration at the end when the third goal went in was genuinely quite heartwarming. Like, it genuinely, he really, really gives a shit. Man. He was running around like mm. a lunatic. Um, but I can't help but feel Juve still got away with one here, Adam. Like, it, it still wasn't the most convincing. No, and Frosinone are absolutely gutted because it was quite a spirited effort for them. Mm-hmm. And you know, we had players like Chidira turning up on the score sheet of all players. Come on, man. Like, wasn't yeah. it six months without a goal? And then he turns up for this match and then head is that goal in from the I corner. went in hard on him being decent in Serie A this year, and he's been yeah. fucking terrible. <laughs> he's been and so he goes bad. back to Napoli as well, potentially, <laughs> where they'll probably go, What the fuck have we signed here? Um, but yeah, genuinely, there, there was good promising signs from. from on it because in recent weeks they've kind of dropped off you know results haven't gone or haven't been kind to them should we say and now that result really drops them into the mire of the relegation fight now so that's not what they wanted and that's probably somewhere where Eusebio Di Francesco is going to try and address it but yeah it's it's disheartening isn't it you could see their reactions at full time that they were just absolutely gutted I think Sule had a fantastic game as well Bresciani as well who scored that goal fantastic goal. goal as well um but yeah i've been so superb with frozen on this season matzella is another one that's really come into the foray and scored some important goals for frozen on this mm-hmm. season so you know there's some really good players at frozen on um i was like at the beginning of the season thought they'd be relegation favorites they proved me wrong we'll see if they're still there by the end of the season i hope they stay up but yeah, you can't help but think they need to get results now. And mm-hmm. they've got some important fixtures. I think they've got to play Salernitana in two weeks' time. Yeah. So that could be a massive six-point game. Jeez, if they don't win that, then they are in trouble. But I think they've kind of slit, they've sleptwalked, sleepwalked into this yeah. because like, they had such a positive start to the season. And then slowly people have just stopped noticing how bad it's been. Like They've mm-hmm. lost four in a row now, is it? Yeah, lost four in a row. Yeah. Like just conceding a lot of goals, they just don't have that solidity. But they're attacking wise, they do still have that threat. Like mm-hmm. they managed to put two past Juve, and the second goal was a really beautiful move. The header from Kadira was a very, very good cross and header. Like it was a good goal. I was so happy when he scored, honestly. Um, <laughs> but for Juve, we have to talk about the positives for them because there were positives. I think McKenney um getting two mm-hmm. assists. Have it added a bit of um, kind of product to his game. I thought Locatelli in midfield was decent. Rabio looked pretty strong. Um, Chiesa looked completely lost. Um, the Again, comments, yeah. yeah, the comments came out this week or well yesterday, I think, where Allegri was asked about Chiesa and he basically said he knows he's not been good enough. He knows he's getting lost out wide and kind of disappearing out of games. So he knows what needs to be done. Like Ben, this isn't exactly. Um, the, the the man management you want around your kind of franchise player, right? No, Kiesa is supposed to be the gem, isn't he? And I don't really <laughs> understand why they're not kind of like mm. doing enough to, well, to sort of polish him in a way because he is the standout. Like for for how good someone like Vlajevic has been this season, I thought Vlajevic was really impressive mm-hmm. uh, yesterday, not just with the two goals. Um, I thought he was kind of playing with that bit of confidence that was missing. You could even sort of see that from the effort that he tried yeah. just inside. Um, Frosinone's at half. So, but I think it's such a weird one with Chiesa because, like you said, the last few weeks he has looked really off it and looked really lost, but you don't want your manager kind of coming out and reminding everyone of that. You know, you need Chiesa was always kind of 
he always he'll for me like he always still seems younger than he actually is so for me my perception mm-hmm. of it is that he kind of needs that arm around the shoulder sort of treatment still and i feel like he is that sort of player that still does need that and kind of still yeah. kind of thrives off of that so it was a bit of a weird approach i think um but like you said i was impressed with mckenney um there was the, the lovely touch for the first goal to cut it back for vlaevich to kind of sweep it home that was a really nice touch and then mm-hmm. set, set it off but he was really good um and for Vivic, it was like one of those games where everything sort of seemed to be falling for him. He had a load of chances. And I thought the way he took the second one in particular sort of used the man to curl it round him and put it right in the bottom corner and and got them back in the game. And like you said, they kind of nearly threw it away at every opportunity as well. But I think going forward, they were pretty impressive, Juve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's nice for Regani, like in all sincerity, it's nice for Regani to have... He's kind of having this mad season yeah. where all... At the beginning of the season, Juve fans were desperate to sell him, right? Every, it was like anyone mm-hmm. who could get him, just give him away, we'll pay his wages, I'll take him there myself. He was part of that mad run where they went 10 games without conceding a goal or whatever it was. He was yeah. in the defence. He got a few goals then. He's since been dropped and now he's come in, he's come on later on in the game and he's managed to get the goal. It's just it's just a bit mad, the season he's having. Um, but yeah, great <laughs> moment for him. And um, yeah, a good win for Juve, an important win because uh, it does yes. kind of solidify second place a little bit more. It keeps that gap in front of Milan just there. So they are now... Back to five points. Um, back five points, four points. Back to four points ahead of Milan. My mm. uh, maths is terrible, and it just gives them a little bit of breathing space there because you could see the pressure on the Juve fans, on the Juve players' faces, and when they got that win, mm. you could see the relief of like, look, okay, we're not out of it. We're still technically in it. So I think it was genuinely a huge win for them, but disappointing for Frosinone in the end. Um, but speaking of the relegation battle, we need to go down to the bottom. Um, Davide Nicola has done it again. Um, Empoli, I'm, I think they could be pretty much safe now. Um, they've put themselves five points ahead of Sassuolo and Verona. Um, Sassuolo still have a game in hand, but they've not won in a very long time. Um Mm. Empoli getting the win here against Sassuolo. Niang again scoring. Yeah. Um, incredible since he came in. It was kind of a bit of a joke when he came into Serie A. Yeah. Well, oh, this guy's <laughs> back. And he's just been smashing it. He gives them that physical presence up front. Yeah. Like his, his runs from out wide and through the middle are really mm. dangerous. He's just given them, like we've said the whole season about Empoli, they were fine defensively, pretty much. Ish. It was their attack, right? It was their mm. attack that was letting him down. And bringing him in has just made such a huge difference, right? Before we get onto Sassuolo, it like Davide Nicola's really just got the job done again. Yeah, it's been massive in that respect. I mean, look, he's a bit of a specialist. He's been doing it before his time at Salernitana as well. And yeah, he seems to be the Sam Allardyce of Serie A, mm-hmm. shall we say. Although uh, Stephen Cole did want to remind me, he doesn't buy like has-beens from other leagues. Uh, no. So he's not quite on that same level as Sam <laughs> he, Allardyce. He did it at Salernitana, to be fair. <laughs> he did it at Salernitana. He started to introduce it, shall we say, yeah. Um, but yeah, you have to say, what a superb turnaround he's done. He's changed the mentality of Empoli, brought in some players like Zhukovsky, for example, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, Mdiang as well. And, you know, this this despite that them selling Tommaso Baldanzi to Roma at the same time as this was ha- happening, you know, and he's got them playing some good football as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of people have been saying from the outside that, you know, Empoli could benefit from being relegated to Serie B just for a reset of the club and change the way they approach the seasons. But I think we've got to hand it to Empoli because this is a club that 
always produces really young, promising players, and then they get sold on. And it takes mm -hmm. them a while before they kind of get the next generation coming through. So they do enough just to survive in that league. And they're probably on one of the smallest budgets down there as well. Because if you look at the grounds, look at the infrastructure that Empley have, it's nothing compared to the rest mm -hmm. of the league in that respect. So they do superbly to kind of pull themselves above the weight of a lot of clubs in that league who spend a lot more money, like Sosuolo, for example, who are you know able to spend 20 million on a striker like Pinamonte, for example, who I think into a laughing at the time when they got 20 million for him as well. And you compare the kind of styles of football. And this was something that I highlighted in a TikTok, you know. So Swallow have now gone on a run where in 14 games, they've only won twice in that space of time. One of those results came against Fiorentina in January. The other came against, ironically, Empoli in Empoli, mm -hmm. where they beat them 4-3. And this was back in November, Rory. So, you know, that shows you how poor the football has been for Sassuolo. Even in the last six games, Rory, they've conceded four, 15 goals, like 15 goals. And four of those was against Bologna only a yeah. few weeks ago. So, you know, they haven't been able to shore up the defence. They haven't got a solid identity in terms of the way they play it. And, you know, I know they are missing Domenico Berardi, but I even highlighted the likes of Armando Loriente, for example, who hasn't really pushed on this season. So they've got some really, you know, talented players like Forsfett in the midfield. I really like him on his day. He's mm -hmm. a really promising player. But they've not been able to get that kind of inspiring performances out of those talented players. And if you imagine you've got Josh Doy, who joined in from Hellas Verona, he could actually be going out of the league, even though his own club that he transferred from might stay in the league. I mean, yeah. how mad would that be for him? So, you know, Sassuolo with the infrastructure amount they spend, they expect better. The question is, why have they left it so late? And yeah. who are they going to bring at this stage? It's really tough to kind of bring someone that can inspire victories because they've got a tough run, Roy. You look yeah. at the fixtures, it's not straightforward. They've got a few six-pointers that they have to win against Salernitana, Frosinone being one of them as well. And in between that, they've got likes of Napoli, Roma mm -hmm. and Milan. So they haven't got an e easy fixture list by the stretch of imagination. But yeah, Sassuolo is bored. I don't know why they've left it so long to make the decision. It's just mental. It's been staring. It's been staring him in the face for so long, as you said. And I think now it's yeah. Who do you bring in? Do you bring in like I know the names that have been linked is like Fabio Grosso, right? Who was pretty harshly sacked by Frosinone yes, at the end of exactly. last season, got them promoted, and then they were like, "Thank you, but you know, leave." Um, so I think that was quite harsh. It'd be interesting to see. I think if you appoint someone like Fabio Grosso, you're basically saying, okay, this is for Serie B, right? This is for when we get down, we've got someone who's got Serie B experience. He can win us league. He can get us back in, right? Because we don't know how he is going to deal in a relegation fight, right? It's a lot of pressure, right? Or mm. do you go for someone like, and I know it sounds a bit ridiculous, but I think with a club who has the money that they do, they're not like one of the poor Serie A teams. Do you no. go for a manager like Gattuso, who's who's recently been fired from Marseille? And do you say, well, look, he's going to come in, he's going to demand respect straight away, right? You might get enough of a manager bounce just to see you over the line, right? You might get in that first three or four games where everyone's terrified of him and somehow they just win, that it just inspires. Because I feel like that one, for the short term, is a little bit more inspiring 
than getting in someone like Fabio Grosso. Now, I don't know if it's realistic, but I can't think of any other managers really off the top of my head who are available. Maybe Liverani, he might be free soon. Well, <laughs> but, like, I can't think of many other many other candidates for them. Like, well, the one that they've been linked with is Div- uh, Davide Baldan- Baldani, even, sorry, who okay. was the ex-Cremonese manager, brought in a good style of football, a bit more experience, right? Um, but the only one that springs to mind is um, Paolo Zanetti, who was previously of Empoli. Um, he's brought so in a good style of football. With these managers. He was know, at Empoli right? this year he was as well. Right? Yeah. He might go there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I genuinely think that that could be a good caliber of manager for them. I mean, who are you going to like prize out of, say, Serie B? I mean, Fabio Petru is doing a fantastic job mm-hmm. at Parma. I can't see him gym- no, jumping going, ship at the moment. No. So, you know, you, you are stuck with the Mazzaris of the world, unfortunately. Yeah, 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 Mazz- yeah, true. I don't true. think Mazzari would go. Um, but again, you, you need someone that's going to, like you say, bring a bit of bounce, a bit of determination. I wouldn't go with Gattuso personally, but Funny things have happened, right? I'm starting the campaign here. Gattuso for Gattuso for Sassuolo. Ben, you're with me, right? You'd love to see Gattuso managing in Serie A, right? We got linked with him, honestly. That was when it was just like, do I want to support do I want to support this football club anymore? Do I wanna do I still oh, want to be a been brilliant? There was like we our fans put together a hashtag no to Gattuso campaign on Twitter. And then it was like all <laughs> Like the day after it was like Spurs have pulled out of negotiations and we were like yes we did this we're in actual reality I think they realised that he was fucking mental <sighs> but I'm kind of with you I think that maybe that is the sort of signing they need it, a manager to bring in they need even if it is just a stopgap towards the, to the end of the season and um, to be fair a section of our fan base also did a no to Postacoglu campaign so it turns out what do we know Gattuso <laughs> could be an incredible manager <laughs> so but maybe just to steady the ship to kind of have someone to go in there with that authority that leadership that kind of aggression to spark some players into life it might not be the worst shout to be fair i think i I think i think they could do worse and even though gattuso is a certified like nutcase everyone who's worked with him all the players absolutely love him all the players come out and go like look he's one of the best like people i've worked for right like they all (laughs) absolutely love working with him so i think it could be a bit of a bounce but i'm not sure if it's going to happen um but for empley absolutely massive massive win um, Davide Nicola, just unbelievable. He did it with Crotone, uh, mm. he's done it with Salernitana, and yeah. now he's doing it with Empoli. Just heritage, absolutely love it. So we're going to leave that mm. game there, and we're going to very quickly, I suppose, go for Napoli. Oh, my God, this was painful wow. watching. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anybody's seen that awesome end miss where he smashes the post from about a yard out. Um <laughs> It's genuinely impressive. I don't know if he could do that again if he tried. Like the accuracy no, that he no. showed from that far, that far close, that close in was impressive. But Napoli endeavor to let a win slip again. They just can't get goals. Like I know they've got one here, right? Mm. But they're just not yeah. scoring, Adam. Like this is a team that put up mad numbers attacking wise last year. It's basically yeah. the same personnel, right? It, it is mm-hmm. the same personnel. Why yeah, is it yeah. just they're just not getting those numbers? Because this year they've just not been able to score at all. It all stems to the management that they've had for the last part of the season. So if you think how they started off, obviously, yeah, you, you couldn't have gone any worse than Rudy Garcia personally. And then obviously the kind of ambiguity of how the season was going to pan out under Rudy Garcia, the amount of losses they've had, you know, even the kind of change of philosophy has kind of disrupted the kind of mm-hmm. players' rhythm. And, you know, they brought in Matsari, who's a favourite at Naples. And obviously, again, 
people were lost with the style of football. I think people did genuinely have an idea of like what Matsari was trying to implement. And that's why he was ultimately let go. And then, you know, with Calzona, he looks like he's trying to implement something. You know, they weren't bad. I think they were starting to show signs of their former mm-hmm. selves. And, you know, they created a lot of opportunities. But as you rightly allude to, they just couldn't finish it off. It was good to see Raspadori on the pitch, for example. And it was actually him chasing down a ball, creating an opportunity for Osserman that helped mm-hmm. him score the goal. Um, but Politano wasted a shot, you know, when he should have either passed it to Raspadori's feet yeah, or, yeah. you know, at least planted it. So, you know, they had plenty of opportunities. Zelinski came back into this match after being excluded from the Champions League because of the stupid De Laurentiis kind of stance as well. So, you know, all of these elements were going to play a part. It's going to still take Calzona still time to kind of adapt and get them playing to his way. Don't forget, I think that's probably what maybe three or four training sessions he's had with the squad yeah, now yeah, because yeah. since that Champions League match, he's been able to sit down with them and actually maybe implement something. But you have to give a lot of credit to Calgary. Obviously, they're fighting for their survival and, you know, it was a typical Route One S goal with Mavumbu scoring that equaliser. I mean, yeah, that guy is special for them. At the he's moment, a decent player. Like he's he a is very all, good player. All yeah. of their spark comes from him. There was a header where Merrick got taken out by his own player, and the ref, I couldn't believe, didn't stop play. Yeah, it was like a free header. He was really unlucky not to score that one. But the goal at the end. Now the defending from that, like the second the defender let the ball bounce, I was like, oh, for, like what are you doing? Don't let it bounce. But it just bounces between him, and he's just there to finish it. Really well taken goal. Um, like, but Calgary's always Sardinia is a difficult place to go to. They yeah. have only got twenty points this season. Sixteen of them have been won at home. Right, so it is a difficult place to go to, mm. and I think Napoli. You could see that they knew they would need more than one goal. They're like one isn't yes. going to be enough. Here. It's not going to be enough here because it just mm. is a difficult place to go to. So a fantastic point for Cagliari. It keeps them level on points with Verona and Sassuolo. So still very much alive and kicking. Uh, Salernitana definitely <laughs> not. Um, yeah. But yeah, a huge point for Cagliari. It was great to see Ranieri at the end um, celebrate, and you could see how massive it was for him as well. Yeah, he was massive. delighted with it, but Napoli just need to get a bit of an attacking verve. I also thought Oliveira at left-back. I feel like I've not seen him in ages. I don't know if I've just not been watching games. Or I kind of forgot oh. he was there, but um, it was interesting yeah. to see him anyway. Um, but yeah, the other players for Cagliari that stood out, Yeri Mina didn't look completely out of place. I thought he looked no. all right. I like him. Yeah. I didn't know if that was going to be a signing that paid off, but he looked pretty decent. Um, and yeah, as we said, Lavumbu absolutely killing it. So good man. Um, any other results in Serie A we wanted to talk about? I well, think... we can talk about Inter demolishing Inter. Lecce. Let's talk about Inter. Yeah, um, absolutely smashing Lecce 4-0. I think it's... Lautaro has now got his 100 and 101st goal in Serie A. He's yep. Inter have scored four goals in three games in a row now, is it? Just everything is yeah. just clicking <laughs> for them now. It is ridiculous. Yeah, four against um, Lecce, four against Salernitana, four against Roma. Just unbelievable. And this is like a B team that they basically put out. They've got Bissek, they've got yeah. De Vrij, they've got like... Alexis, it, Alexis Sanchez as yeah, well. Alexis yeah. Sanchez, who I tell you what... He was looking pretty good. His setup for one of the goals was fantastic. Um, but yeah, Ben, inter coast to another win, just and another one ticked off, right? Yeah, just another very commanding performance from Inter away from home. Like their form, both at home and away from home, has been just outstanding. They have been so, so impressive. Um, especially after they kind of had to grind it out against Atletico in the week as well. 
Um, sometimes going away from home after those Champions League nights isn't easy. Uh, they got the win they deserved, I think, in the week. Um, I think they did deserve it. And Matoro, yeah, just the the kind of prop for Martinez continues week in, week out, doesn't it? Because he's just such a clinical finisher. Like the way I think both goals were relatively simple. Obviously, mm-hmm. the, the, his second, especially, mm-hmm. um, it was basically just an empty net that he had to slide it into. But the first one, kind of the strength to sort of wriggle away from his mark, I yeah. thought it was really impressive and hold mm-hmm. him off and then roll it in the corner. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think, again, the kind of the disrespect outside of the league that he gets is just incredible. And I think, again, people mm-hmm. are like, oh, well, he didn't score in the Champions League in the week, but that was an incredibly tight game. It was yeah, always going to yeah. be like that against Atletico. They're always going to make it difficult. And that second leg is going to be really interesting, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. especially with the lack of, well, obviously, there is no away goals now for uh, teams in the Champions League. So that's not a bad result for Atletico, really. Um but it's not it's not a great result, but it's not bad for them. Um, but they will have to turn it around. Yeah. Um the marking for the DeVry goal was so poor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, was really it was really bad. It was really but, bad. Um, yeah, they were just too good and it could have could and should have been more, really. But yeah, really impressive again from Inter. Well, is it exactly? Yeah, and it's, it, even Devry is a player who's had like a season kind of in and out of the team, and then comes in. It's just mm. this depth we've talked about over and over again, Adam, isn't it? They're like these players, they can just come in, and I think Inzaghi's done incredibly well to like keep them involved. Like it'd be quite easy yes. for Devry to do a screeny R, right, and just kind of turn his head, lose interest, start looking elsewhere. But he's not. He's been included. He's come in, and when he's coming in, he's still putting mm. in incredible performances. I thought that about Bissek as well. Like he's had to be super patient for his for his chances. I know mm. he's come in yeah. very much as a deputy, but when he comes in, he looks calm on the ball. He looks assured. He looks like not out of place at all. And I just think Inzaghi deserves a lot of credit for keeping the fringe players involved, invested, and able to put in performances that are like worthy of this team, right? 100%. You know, he has a style of football and I think there was a lot of criticism about Inzaghi in previous seasons not rotating his players, you know, having certain personnel play for big games, for example, and not giving them a rest, for example. And you can see what happens when he does rotate those players. They play to the same standards, you know, same intensity, the same kind of ethics, you know, when they're kind of changing the kind of style of play, for example, rotating the players, you know, you still see those kind of marauding runs from the centre-backs, for example. They're all doing these kind of triangles and moving into space and they're creating opportunities. You saw the best of Aslani, for example, Mm -hmm. in this match and that was a fantastic thing to watch because I think he's a kid that we've been really excited about, you know, and seeing him from Empoli to here, that was a big step for him in his career. But you saw it across the whole team, like, you know, Ben alluded to Alexis Sanchez and, you know, he was rolling back the years with that kind of style of football. He looks like he was prime Alexis Sanchez that we knew of, you know, and I know it's Lecce. Look, Lecce are Lecce, but that's a difficult ground but to go to. they weren't that South bad Italy. either. Lecce no, were not that terrible. Bad. terrible. <laughs> like, they no, weren't bad that... at all, but Inter just are Inter, right? And Because they had a few chances, difference. I think. I think Banda had a had a chance, and there was a few chances yeah, that yeah. had they just didn't take. But like, yeah, they weren't as bad as four 0 looks. It's just Inter were as good as four 0 looks, I think. Um, but yeah, I think that's all of the Serie A action. Now we do have 
Um, a request, where's it gone? Uh, Matty Kushner asking if we can get some Prem predictions for next weekend. Now, Matty, I'm going to say no. You're going to have to listen to our podcast on Friday to get our Premier League predictions for next weekend. So we're going to have to keep you waiting. I apologize, mate. Um, but, guys, that is us done for the week, I think. Um, that is all of the results. Just to go very quickly through the rest of Serie A, I suppose. Um, Fiorentina are currently winning 2-1. They won. They won. That. They've won 2-1, one. 90 plus 7. Yeah, they're winning 2-1 against Lazio. Goals from Coyote and Bonaventura. Um, Roma beat Torino 3-2. Torino looking massively improved recently, but a Dybala hat-trick has given Roma the three points. De Rossi oh, wow. continues on an incredible run here. Mm. Um, really the desired effect. Monza beat Salernitana 2-0, of course. Uh, Genoa beat Udinese 2-0. Retegui scoring again. And Bologna won 2-0 against Verona on the Friday night. Yeah. Fabian, who's on a bit of a run, got a few goals in the last couple yeah. of games, um, scoring and Freuler with the other. But that is everything, guys. This midweek, we do have some FA Cup matches. Coventry have beaten Maidstone 5-0. Um, that's the end of that fairy tale. Um, tomorrow night, we have Bournemouth taking on Leicester, Blackburn taking on Newcastle, and Luton Town taking on Manchester City. Um, pick an upset from those three guys. Which game is going to be the upset? Bournemouth, Bournemouth, Leicester, Luton City, Blackburn to beat Newcastle. I think. I think Blackburn to yeah. beat Newcastle. Then we have on Wednesday Chelsea taking on Leeds United. That's an upset. Okay, yeah, absolutely nailed on upset. That uh, Chelsea taking on Leeds United. Yeah, that's going to be proper spiky, that one. It's going to be yeah. proper spiky, that one. If it was at Ellen Road, I think I would back Leeds, but I think mm. Chelsea would probably win that. I think Leeds could spring a surprise here. I'm excited to see that one. I'm about to sit and watch that. We have Forest taking on Manchester United, Wolves taking on Brighton, and then Liverpool hosting Southampton. That is all the midweek action. I think in Serie A, there isn't any action this midweek, is there? Just need to double-check. No. Oh, yeah. Wednesday, we have Sassuolo taking on Napoli and Inter get playing Atalanta in their game in hand. Oh, Absolutely well, massive. That is on Wednesday night. So make sure to check those out. Um, guys, thank you for joining. Always a pleasure. Ben, where can people find you online? Thank you, mate. Yeah, always a pleasure. Uh, ben Talks Football on TikTok. Ben underscore Bowman underscore on Twitter. I said on a podcast the other day, I'm going to try and find the person that's at Ben Bowman and just see if how much money I can swing their way and just get the... Because trying to tell people that when it's like, you just wish it was your name and it's just yeah. be so... I was just at Ben Bowman, but it's unfortunately not. Uh, but that's where you can find me. Um, I'm probably off to make a video in a minute about the fact that I think Brentford could be in trouble. They lost 4-2 yes. West Ham yeah. tonight. And that Everton Everton getting points back, that's kind of put mm. Brentford in a bit of a sticky situation. Mm -hmm. They probably won't do, but I'm going to try my best to force it into a video anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, why not? <laughs> why yeah. not? Um, Adam, pleasure as always. Um, anything to say before I send these people home? Just to say a massive thank you to Ben as well for shouting us out on TikTok. So we're starting to get some more followers. So thank you for that, yeah. my legend. And yeah, if you have TikTok, join us, add us on. Like I say, you don't have to use the app. Just delete it straight after. So just follow <laughs> us. That's what we need. Get us up to 1K, right? Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you very much, guys. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, hit the make sure to hit the like and subscribe button down here somewhere. Give us a follow on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod on Instagram and TikTok at Anglo Italian Pod. We will have another episode on Friday reviewing all the midweek action and previewing another huge weekend in the Premier League and Serie A. We will see you then. Ciao, a dopo. Ciao, ciao.
Social Podcast Network.